we are taking a break from Mark. And when they asked me to speak, they said, I have a free topic. So, you know, I mean, I can do anything with that. And so today, I, I decided that I want to speak upon the holiness of God. I want to speak upon the holiness of God. And, and, and I, I feel like we never get enough of this topic. I feel like we never get enough of just talking about who God is and how He is holy. It's a, it's a doctrine. Holiness of God is a doctrine that's, that's really deep, so theologically deep that we always have to take it one step at a time. You can't wrap your head around the holiness of God completely. It's impossible. But that doesn't mean you shouldn't study it. Then we should always take it piece by piece and enjoying, savoring every one of it. In 1 Peter chapter 1, verse, um, verse 15, 1 Peter chapter 1, verse 15, he, Peter writes, and he says this, he says that, that he who called you is holy. As he who called you is holy, you also be holy in all your conduct. Since it is written, you shall be holy, for I am holy. God here, the God who saved you, the God who calls you, the God who you just worship and sing to, because he is holy, we too ought to be holy. What that means is that in order for us to obey this call, we must understand and see how God is holy. That's why the holiness of God is such an important doctrine. And there is no better introduction to this doctrine than Isaiah 6, verse 1 through 7. And we just read that. And, and now we're going to take it, and now we're going to, I'm going to take it apart for us verse by verse. And we're going to see aspects of God's holiness here. Now, I have in front of me the ESV, so what we read was, I believe from the ASV. And so it's gonna. So some of the phrases I'm gonna use, some of the words I'm using, are gonna come from the ESV. So it'll be a little bit different from what we read. So just keep that in mind. But we're gonna go ahead and take a deeper look into this passage where we just looked at. And so what here this morning, we're gonna see five attributes of God's holiness. Five attributes of God's holiness that we should cherish and embrace of our lives. And before I get started, I want to define what holy means. I'm going to talk about holiness of God. I'm going to talk about all these different aspects of it. I should first define holy. So holy means to be set apart. It means to be set apart. Literally, in Hebrew, it means to cut. And so, have you guys heard of the phrase, be cut from like a different cloth? To be cut from a different cloth? So, usually, you say that when, when somebody is like very different. right? Someone behaves differently. When, when someone just doesn't act like culturally appropriate. And, and you say they're cut from a different cloth, meaning they're, they're different internally. And so here, when we turn using the word holy, when we say it means to cut, be set apart, we're saying that God himself is cut from a different cloth, meaning God himself is different. What's he different from? He's different from us. We, we, we can imagine God in all these different ways, but essentially we can never fully comprehend who God is because he is different. He is set apart from us. And it is only by His grace that God would use human attributes, human characteristics to help us understand who He is. But God is holy. He is different. God is 
completely different from us. God, your, your imagination cannot grasp who God is. God is greater, bigger, and unknowable. And that's what makes him amazing. God is a divine mystery that we get a pleasure in just simply getting a glimpse at, getting a peek at. And so now let's go ahead and dive in. Five attributes of God's holiness. Verse 1, first thing we will see is God's majestic holiness. God's majestic holiness. We start here with the setting. Isaiah says, in the year that King Uzziah died, meaning King Uzziah here in this year, he passed away. Who is King Uzziah? King Uzziah was a king of Israel for 50 years. For 50 years. That's like three or four times some Eurasians here, right? 50 years is a long time. Some of your parents might be 50 years old. It's, it's, and, and in America, we don't necessarily understand what that means, to have a king sitting there for 50 years. Because in America, we have presidents flowing through every four years, right? And, and so we don't know what it means to reign for that long. King Uzziah, he was comparably so a, a good king. He did some good stuff. And so imagine then, being in Israel during that time, you're sitting underneath the sovereignty and the sovereign reign, the authority of this king for 50 years. And for some people, that's their entire lives. And that's all they know. They only knew about this one king. Like they, don't, they, they don't go through like 10 presidents in their lifetime. They just know this one king. That's all they knew. And suddenly he passed away. Imagine. Imagine the confusion in your hearts. Imagine the questions they may have. Who is going to rule in this place? What will happen to the nation of Israel? Will our next king be just as good as he is? They don't know. And so there's uncertainty. And when there's uncertainty, you become unraveled a little bit, right? Become a little lost. And so that's the context. And Isaiah here now gets a vision. And in this vision, he sees then a throne. And on the throne sits a king. And this king is not dead. Instead, this king is reigning. And he's reigning with holy splendor and majesty. There is still a king alive. And that's the king of the universe. The Lord God. And it says here that he is high and lifted up. This God, this king, he is not a dope king. He's, he's dope. This king is awesome, right? I, I don't know what words you guys use nowadays, but in my day we use the word dope. I, I don't use like words like lit or anything like that. This, this king is dope. This king is awesome. This king is great. This king sits on the throne like a boss. And he's reigning. In supreme majesty. It's greater than anything we can imagine. High and lifted up, separated from all of us. Right? This king could, he could, as you could just saw the throne and saw him just sitting there, but instead it says the throne and, him, and the God himself is high and lifted up. He is separated. He, no one could get near him. No one is equal. God is greater than anything we can imagine. God is greater in this world. In fact, God created this world. God, God is, God is one, meaning no one else is like him. No one else can get near to him. No one else is his equal. 
And we see here that the train of his robe filled the temple. The train of his robe, that, that's the back end of a robe, right? Imagine a wedding dress. And when the bride is walking down, there's this train from her dress flowing behind her, right? That, that's, that, that small little piece is filling the little aisle. Some of it, for, some, for some women, it might be really long. For some of them, it might be really short. Some of them, they don't even go all the way down to the ground. But this man does this very small piece of cloth, right? That's a bottom, right? It, it, it barely rises up the ground. And yet here, the train of God's robe fills the temple. And this is no small temple. This is the temple of heaven. <coughs> fills the temple. Train of his robe fills the temple with that great white sheets that flows across the room and envelops you, covers you. This is not a small king. This is a majestic, splendid, holy king. He is sitting on his throne. <coughs> Next, in verse 2, we see the second attribute, God's glorious holiness. God's glorious holiness. Isaiah here is not alone. He sees above God, seraphim, flying above God. Now, seraphim is it's a, it's a plural word. It's like the word children, right? Children is a plural noun. And so seraphim here is a, plur, is a plural noun, and it stands for a multitude of seraphs, a multitude of angels. And here we see then that each of these, seraph, each of these seraphs, they have six wings, but two of them they flew, so they had to fly. But what did the other four do? Two covered his face. Meaning these angels are dabbing away from the king, right? They're, they're, they're covering his face, turning their face away from God because God's glory, God's holiness is so bright, so majestic, so amazing that they can't stand and bear the glimpse of it because they, it's, just, it's too utterly amazing. Beyond imagination. <coughs> Imagine a light so bright, so pure, that it blinds you. So you have to turn your face away from it. That's what's happening here. And so they're covering their face. And with two, they cover their feet. And why their feet? Because the feet is, is the lowest part of our bodies. The feet is the one that walks on the ground. The feet is what gets dirty. And so the feet... In many cultures, it's, it's representation of what's unworthy, right? In Thailand, if you ever, ever travel to Thailand, one of the cultural things you should recognize and remember is that in Thailand, you're, it's disrespectful to show the bottom of your foot to anyone. So even for, for babies, like if you have a kid there, you want to cover their feet because a lot of times babies are on their back and they're showing the bottom of their feet up and you, you want to cover them to show respect, and so in Thailand, you'll never see people putting their feet up on, on their desk, on their chairs, because that's disrespectful. Because the feet is the dirtiest part of the body, and you don't want to disrespect the people you're around. So here in the same way here, where we're covering the angels here, are covering their feet so that they show no dishonor. Instead, they show reverence to God. They, they care that they're in front of a holy king, a king that deserves respect. A king that deserves our worship. 
And this is the kind of reverent worship that God deserves. And one that we all must recognize. That guys, that when you guys come here to service, you guys recognize that you are worshiping such a God. That your minds should not be wandering. That when you're before God, you should be like these angels. That Isaiah can't keep his eyes away. That his mind isn't thinking back to anything else. He's not thinking about when lunches. He's not thinking about the cute girl across the room. His mind's transfixed upon God himself. Because that's all that he can see. That's all that he can think of. Because God fills the room and fills us. It's that the God you worship every Sunday morning, every single day. You have to be utterly mesmerized by God. And you should be aware of the same two things that these angels are aware of. That one, you cannot bear to look at such a holy God because he's that amazing. And two, you are unworthy to be in his presence. Seraphims here, they're all the same. As they're covering their faces, as they're flying, as they're covering their feet, they're also singing. And, they're, and that's really the only natural response to something so amazing. And so here, the angels are, are singing in verse 3, they call out to one another, and this is what they say to each other. They say, Holy, holy, holy is the Lord of hosts. The whole earth is full of His glory. That is the highest praise you can give to God. Think about these words carefully. Right? When, he, when, when they call out holy, 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 that isn't just words to a lyric. Right? It's not just a song. Holy, 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 three times. Three times holy is an emphasis of who God is. In scripture, many times they repeat words to emphasize what they mean. I, I don't remember which passage it is, but there's a passage in the Old Testament that says, in Hebrew, it says, pit and pit. Meaning, it's the pittiest of pits. They do it two times. And that's typically how they get your, get your attention. They repeat words. But here, here's the only time we see a word repeated three times. That there is an emphasis here. There's an importance here to this word. Three times. Holy, holy, holy. It's like saying something is good, better, and best. But here, God is the best. And no one else can match up to His holiness. God's holiness is perfection. And the whole earth, the whole earth is full of His glory. Covered, filled to the brim with His glory. Imagine the sun. A gigantic ball of fire in the the sky. And... And the sun is so bright, and, and you know, when it's high noon, we can't look at the sun, right? It'll blind us. And so, and so we turn away. We cover our eyes. We wear sunglasses. Whatever you do. Sunblock. And, and, and you cover yourself from the sun because it's so bright. It's this giant ball of fire. But yet we know the sun is up and out there. Why? Because the sun's light covers the earth. And, it's, and we feel its warmth. God's holiness portrays His glory. His glory covers the earth. Even though we may not be able to look into God's holiness, we can sense His glory all around us. 
God's holiness is it's amazing. It's radiant. And it covers the entire world. And we have no other choice but to stand in awe of such weightiness. Stand in awe of such glory. We should be like the seraphim, singing out to God these exact words and recognizing how amazing it is to stand before God. I want us to take a moment and think about this. Because a lot of times we use this phrase, live for God's glory. Right? Live, do all things for the glory of God. Amazing passage. We can say that all you want, 1 Corinthians, right? And, and that is absolutely true. We should definitely live our lives for the glory of God. But never think for a second that God needs you to be glorified. God doesn't need you to have glory. God's innate, God's holiness gives an innate glory. We only have the privilege to participate in that. To participate in that glory. We give God glory not because He needs it. We give God glory because it is our proper response to His holiness. And so then, think about that in terms of your worship. Think about that when you're singing songs Friday nights, Sunday mornings. Think about that when you hear a preacher opening up the Word of God and it is God who speaks to you. Think about that this is a holy God talking to you. You don't deserve to be in such a presence. Isaiah here sees all this. And it's only as he stands there and he's seeing all this. In verse 4 it says, The foundations shook. And the house was filled with smoke. We see the third thing about God's holiness. God's fearsome holiness. God's fearsome holiness. God's holiness is not just great and amazing. It's not just a beauty to behold of. God's holiness is something we should be afraid of. God's holiness is powerful. God is speaking. His voice thunders across the room. And the earth shakes. The ground shakes. The foundations of the temple shakes. This is not small. This is not some kind of small California earthquake that we always ignore. This is something that will knock you to your knees. That will knock the biggest and strongest of us to your knees. That will knock someone like Kevin down to his knees. You cannot ignore God's voice. You cannot ignore God's presence. You cannot close the door on God. God's voice is so powerful and you will come before Him with your knees weak and trembling. And not only that, but the temple all of a sudden is filled with smoke and it's airy. This is not just some fancy fog machine. This is, this is God and His mysteriousness this fierceness. When there's smoke, when you're surrounded by smoke, it's usually there's a warning, right? When there's smoke around, there's a warning that there's a fire somewhere, that something is happening, and, it's, and, it's, and suddenly when we can't see, 
What happens when we can't see? We, we feel like we're not in control. And, and fear creeps up in us. We can't see when we're not in control. God here, God's presence fills the room like smoke. And there's a fear aspect happening. And it's a reminder that God is powerful and we are not. That God's in control and we are not. That God is holy and we are not. So we see all this about God. We see all this about his holiness. How then does Isaiah respond? Verse 5, we see the fourth attribute of God's holiness, which is God's righteous holiness. God's righteous holiness. Because here, ideally Isaiah was seen with the seraphim. Was seen with them saying, holy, holy, holy. But what does Isaiah here say? Does he he looks upon this and what does he say? Does he say he, he does he say holy smokes? Yeah. <laughs> no. He says, Woe is me. Woe is me. It's an expression of grief and despair. Woe here is typically used as a curse, as a condemnation. And here Isaiah is saying, I'm cursing myself. Woe is me. For I am lost. Or some translations, I am ruined. I am undone. Isaiah is unraveling before God. Completely unraveled. Totally lost. There's nothing good he can hang on to. Instead, he feels worthless. And he has no arguments before God, no excuses before God. He feels his entire wickedness before God. But to keep in mind what's going on here, because God didn't say anything, at least we don't see any words as written down for us as saying, you know, you have done all these things wrong. Here is your guilt. Right? Here's our sins. Instead, Isaiah just stands before God and all his holiness, and all of a sudden he feels all of this. Because God's holiness is so perfect, so amazingly perfect, that Isaiah, in, in his imperfection, in his, in his sin, in his dirtiness, is not worthy to stand before God. You know, and we can, we can somewhat understand this. Right? As, as Asians, we like to keep you know, our, our pillows or our couches like, covered in plastic. Or we like to keep these in mint condition in our packages. Because you know, the minute you open them, it's defective. Our dirty hands touch them. Right? But do you realize when you stand before God, because of who we are, we do the same thing to God? We defile his presence by being before him. Do you guys ever think about that when you guys come here to worship him? That the fact that you're here on Sundays doesn't make you good, but the, that when you're here on Sundays, you should actually be crying out to God, saying, I'm sorry that I'm here.
God, God is so perfect. We are unworthy to be before him. And Isaiah feels all that. And he cries out. And he cries all this out. And he says that I'm a man of unclean lips. I dwell in the midst of people unclean lips. So now he represents himself not with God. He represents himself, associates himself with the people, the sinners, because that's who he is. He recognizes that. And he feels the weight of his sin, his guilt, his shame. Nothing can cover him. Isaiah is standing there naked before God. God hasn't said a thing yet. He feels all this. What is your response to God? In the times when you pray, what is your response to God? In the times when you read God's word, what is your response? When you're sitting here underneath the preaching of God's word, what is your response? Let me share something of what I... But something I'm viewing of this culture today, the culture that we live in. In America, we, we tend to emphasize a lot about individualism. We tend to emphasize a lot about who we are as individual. And individualism teaches us that we have our own authority, that we make our own decisions, that you make your own decisions, that you can be your own judge. You don't have to listen to your parents, to your teachers, to your pastors. That you yourself make your own decision. We, we teach that here in this culture. And so we, in a way, undermine authority. So all those people, we recognize they're good things. We recognize them as influences, but we don't see them as authority. But here's the thing. Authority doesn't matter. Authority doesn't matter. So authority teaches you what is right and wrong. Authority teaches you about morals. Authority keeps you in line with making morally right choices. Without authority, there will be chaos. And, and we see that that's kind of what's being undermined right now. Ultimately, what ha- what's happening is that morally, we are no longer recognizing our own sins. And we don't, when we don't recognize our own sins, we will never stand before God the way Isaiah stands before God. When we don't recognize how unworthy we are, we will never be in the same position as Isaiah is in. And that's a problem. Because here's the thing. You can disobey your parents. And you might be able to live in your household. You can disobey your teachers. And, you know, you're still going to get their next homework assignment. You can disobey your pastors. But the thing is that you can get away with all that. But, we, but you cannot disobey God and get away from Him. You cannot escape God and His authority. And ultimately, you will have to answer to Him and Him alone. And what will happen when you stand before the throne? Church, we have to understand this. That you cannot escape God's presence. And God himself is just so amazingly holy, so amazingly God. That he is sovereign. God is not your homie. You do not just fist bump God. God 
this morning that God is your maker. God is your creator. God is your king. And he will judge every word and deed of your life. You cannot shy away from that. You cannot hide from that. You will come before God like Isaiah. When you do, you will feel just as unworthy as him. And you'll crown agony and fear knowing that you deserve death from God. Do you approach God in that way? Do you see God in that way? And that here is the greatest dilemma of all mankind. How then can we approach God? If we are created to worship Him, we're created to be in fellowship with Him, how then do we be right with God? And that is Isaiah's cry here. And here in verse 6 and 7, we will see the fifth attribute of God's holiness. That's this merciful holiness. This merciful holiness. And God's mercy is, when we can approach God, it is God who approaches us. And here, God sends a seraph to Isaiah with a burning coal. And this coal is hot, right? He picked it up with tongs. It's a hot coal. It's burning brimming with fire. The hot coat touches Isaiah's mouth. And, and this is not a peaceful scene. This is a scene with physical pain and agony. This is a scene where Isaiah, once the cold touches the Isaiah must be searing with pain up his nerves. That pain, that's the cost of our sins. That's the cost of forgiveness. And yet in that one action, we see God's mercy. We see God's mercy. Because he sent the seraph to cleanse Isaiah. And in verse 7, the moment that happened, the seraph said, Behold, this coal has touched your lips. Your guilt is taken away and your sin atoned for. Now you can approach God in his throne. We all need this mercy. And in God's providential mercy, He didn't just send an angel to us. He sent His Son. And He sent His Son to die on the cross, bearing the pain and shame of our sin. He bared out with Him on the cross so that whoever believes in Him will not perish but have eternal life. John 3, 16. That is amazing news. God will send His Son so that we can approach Him. See, everything, guys, everything centers around the holiness of God. The holiness of God is the reason why we were created, to give God glory. It's the reason why we're judged, because God's righteousness, His holiness, means that we, our sins must be judged. God's holiness is also the reason why we're saved, because Jesus Christ Pay the price. And this makes this makes God's holiness something to behold of, guys. Turn with me to Hebrews chapter 4, verse 16. Hebrews chapter 4, verse 16. Note here in Hebrews 4, 
This is after, this is the New Testament now, so this is after the cross. Note here what the author says that we should be doing. Hebrews chapter 4, verse 16, the author writes this, Let us then draw with confidence near, draw, well, let me start over. Let us then with confidence draw near to the throne of grace. Not the throne of fear. The throne of grace. That we may receive mercy and find grace to help in the time of need. How did God's holy, sovereign, kingly throne become suddenly the throne of grace? How does that happen? Go back two verses. Hebrews chapter 4 verse 14. It says, Since then we have a great high priest who passed through the heaven. Jesus, the Son of God. Let us then hold fast our confession. It is Jesus Christ who is there in the throne room before God, pleading for our cause. That is why we can draw to God's throne with confidence and not in fear. That is how amazing the gospel is. And Jesus Christ is now standing before the throne of God, interceding for us, declaring us righteous. And this isn't the last time we encounter the throne of God. Turn with me to Revelation chapter 5. Revelation chapter 5. We're going to look at verse 13. And here, John, the apostle John, has a vision. And in his vision, he is in heaven, same way Isaiah is. And he is seeing the throne of God. And here, the same God is sitting in that throne. The same holy king, sovereign king, is sitting in that throne. But this time, John writes, Revelation chapter 5, verse 13, he said, And I heard every creature in heaven and on earth, and under the earth, and in the sea, and all that is in them. This is all of us. All of us who are in Christ, who believe in Christ. We now sing. We don't cry out, woe is me, and stand before the throne. We can sing. And what do we sing? We sing to him who sits on the throne and to the Lamb, be blessing and honor and glory and might forever and ever. That, guys, is the hope. That is the reward. That we can come before God and not just worship God, but we see the Lamb, Jesus Christ, our righteousness there too. And we can worship Him as well. All together, God the King, Christ our Savior. And we can worship God before the throne because God cleanses us. This is what the gospel is all about. Guys, your view of the gospel going go as far as your understanding of God's holiness. If you don't understand how holy and majestic God is, you'll never understand how great, how amazing the gospel is. God, God in His holiness is everything. It's the reason why the gospel is there. 
Yeah, we can come back to the throne and worship him. So then let us then confidently stand before the throne of God and worship him, singing praises to him, seeing his holy attributes, and seeing the power of the gospel that saves us. We pray. Father, just the fact that we can call you Father, that's, that's amazing. Thank you, God. Thank you, God, for everything. And so, Lord, I pray, God, that our hearts today will be enamored by who you are. Now, we will see your holiness and just be amazed by it. But as we're, we're in our amazement, may we also then recognize how much we're in need of your Son and in need of Christ. Thank you, Lord, for the gospel. Thank you, God, for your grace. That we can now come before you and worship you in your holiness. That we can now sing, holy, holy, holy is the Lord of hosts. The whole earth is full of your glory. May that be our life song. Pray all this in your holy and precious name. Amen.